Welcome to the T-Hud Podcast. I'm Moby. And I'm a sweaty Leland Steele. <laughs> it is quite hot and smoky out here, which I do believe we mentioned on the podcast last year around this oh, time. Oh, I'm sure we did. <laughs> I mean, and, and you know, for once, it's not just British Columbia that is on fire. It seems like the entire country of Canada is on fire. <laughs> yes. really impacting our southern neighbors <laughs> by all counts as well. And it's interesting because like there's all these pictures of, you know, cities that seem to matter to the rest of the world. No Canadian cities. They don't want to see Ottawa. They want to see New York with all that smoke. And of course, when you look up a news article on the smoke over New York, it's like the Canadian smoke from Canada that is infecting and killing New Yorkers from Canada, which is Canadian. It's, it's like, yeah. yeah, we get the point. It's not your smoke, America. I'm sure you do other bad stuff, too. <laughs> it's so true, though. It, it is absolutely true. I mean, to be fair, some of those some of those shots of New York look absolutely horrendous. Like you can't see anything of the skyline from like. 15 feet from you it's it's pretty brutal pretty brutal and to to be fair they are our forest fight you know True. Fires I mean, yeah, from it's, canada it's factual so yeah. it's not like they're lying they're just <laughs> making a big big point of it but uh yeah it's pretty crazy well and, and like i'm super stoked for this episode so listener we have something pretty special for you it's it's a little tougher to innovate when you know you're 6 years in i think our anniversary is next month yeah you know it's so we'll we'll have to think of something to do like mentioning it for 2 seconds and then completely moving on <laughs> <laughs> but yeah i'm really excited for this episode because we're we're experimenting which we like to do we are having our two main segments both be video game variety show for the first time ever wow in uh, memoriam of ghost marty he's probably hard in his grave <laughs> what's the opposite oh, of roll man. over in your grave right what's the it's got to be being erect in your grave <laughs> yeah whatever, whatever he's doing in his grave my brother is yelling at him like when he didn't move during airsoft you know he's he's that level of scene, like <laughs> sedentary in hell he literally cannot move from his little fiery bush <laughs> that burns him but yeah actually you know it's a good point to bring up ghost marty because you know he was uh he still looms large over the podcast we'll say that and i know he's particularly interested in our second segment tonight regarding resident evil for make Listener, if you like, um, you know, polite, civil, respectable conversation between adults, just leave after the first segment today. Because uh, <laughs> it could get pretty ugly in the second segment. I, we, I'm, I'm going to try to rein it in. I will attempt to rein it in. But I don't know how triggered you're going to make me. I just don't know. <laughs> I I have this odd habit of being a fantastic friend 95 like 98% of the time. It's like <laughs> one or 2% of the time that I can like push your buttons like a catnipped cat on a piano. Just like dong, dong, buttons, 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 dong, dong, dong. Sometimes they're just like, like you say, very like minimally, but there's sometimes just things that it feels like to each other that we're either one of us is just completely out to lunch yes. on our view on, <laughs> on right? Like <laughs> we have no so, idea. Yeah. Like to even try to get common ground. <laughs> 
It is honestly a wonder that condescending controversy turned into a polite discourse. As it yes, certainly it Right? Like, maybe we're learning in our old age. <laughs> maybe. It was like a segment meant for us to fight, and all we did is agree <laughs> and have a draw every time. It's like such a, such a failure. Well, I mean, we're passionate, and I think part of the reason we get frustrated, at least in my mind, I get frustrated at myself because I feel like I'm not communicating what I feel. And that what I feel actually makes sense if someone considers it, which could be completely wrong. I could be full of shit, but I get frustrated because I'm like, why am I not communicating my point? It's going to be interesting. The end of the show, we're going to start off, like you say, we're going to start off real nice. We're going to start, oh, we're going to start off real nice with talking about maybe the biggest scam in video game history. (laughs) But it's entertaining. Listener, I can tell you that both segments will be entertaining today. They get the Moby seal of approval because our other video game segment will be a lot of fun reminiscing with Leland from like two weeks ago. So, yeah, enough with the the pre pre banter banter that we always do. Let's jump into the real banter. So I know you got two or sorry, I know you got one and I've got two. Yeah. Okay. Depending how long they go, I I have a second. But let me go first. Let me go first. Yes. Okay. Because uh, this is actually something that. Emma brought to my attention today. So she gave me this banter oh. today. And she sent me a link to an article uh, about Renegade Game Studios working out and expanding their licensing agreement with Hasbro to start producing Heroescape again. What? That's huge news. Yeah, Even it's big. So there was, there was a proposed relaunch of it, you know, back in 2022 that I don't... I don't really know what happened with it. I don't know if it, it didn't get off the ground, but I guess now they've Hasbro has like found who they want to partner with. And, you know, Hasbro will be helping Renegade Game Studios uh, for like distribution using their, their, you know, the powerhouse that Hasbro is to get this, get here, the new HeroScape everywhere. Oh, by man. all accounts, it sounds like it's going to be like a return to form, which would be great. I mean, I, I hope it's fully compatible with the old stuff, which oh, that'd be so cool. Oh, it would be dope, and I and I, I think I, I I like Renegade Game Studios. I think they're a great uh, company, as far as what they produce, anyways. And yeah, I'm pumped. I am pumped because who I love HeroScape, man. I mean, I know we talked about HeroScape years ago on one of our early episodes. It's just so fun. It's such a good game. Well, it's a core part of our friendship in T HUD as a as a whole. Ghost right. Marty and my brother. I mean. There was probably there was a five year period where that was one of the main activities we do together. Almost every time we'd meet up, oh, this yeah. was like at my place. So I'm excited just to rip more HeroScape. I suck at it, but I really enjoy it. I'm excited to see new figures. Like so many of the figures are cool, even if you never play them. They're still cool. The idea behind them and like their special abilities. Um, I know everybody's got their favorites and whatnot, but you know, I just. I mean, honestly, man, I just love flipping through those hex cards and like thinking about different combinations for building different your points or whatever. Oh, yeah. Building it's just so much fun. Yeah, you know, I think I mentioned probably before on the show, but long again years ago, a long time ago, I had started the process of developing an army builder building app and didn't get very far, but I was like learning how to like code an app and that kind of shit. Wow. Maybe maybe I'll revisit. Maybe I have the time now to revisit. Who who knows? 
Well, I, you know what? I'm happy. You have a, a habit of when something becomes a, you know, less popular, discontinued, maybe you get out of a hobby for a while. You, you just, you tend to sell the hobby away, which is fine because often you make decent coin, just like your magic cards, which I'm helping you replenish as your birthday gift, which you know <laughs> is coming. Listener, Leland has gotten rid of his magic cards multiple times. A few times, yeah. And for his birthday, I decided to just buy him a bunch of them back. I will, of course, be the steward of his second set. I will take care of, you know, that pedigree, the, the pedigree of those <laughs> cards. I shall take care of. But Leland will have new cards. Um, but no, with HeroScape, you kept all your stuff and you could have sold that for a lot. And it was probably tempting at times. Did the thought ever cross your mind to like just get rid of it, make space, make good coin? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, I don't know what all in like I'm, it would have been impossible to try to find somebody all in to buy everything for like a few thousand, you know, like, but I probably could have made at least in the in the in the kind of I don't want to say heyday, but like the the number of years after it was out of production where like a starter set, you know, the base starter set was going for a few hundred right hundreds of dollars trying to get a thing on ebay not to mention some of the more uh some of the other expansion waves that that were put out and i almost have everything i don't have all of the original stuff pretty close though pretty close but yeah it definitely crossed my mind of course like it just to take the time i would have to piecemeal it right i would have, yeah, it just yeah. so much time so much time and not worth it like not worth getting rid of it yeah but now i mean the you know my second point would be the idea of us being able to play again with like new creatures has to be reinvigorating. Like I'm stoked. So I'm sure you must be stoked about building a huge map on your gaming table. It should be yeah. fun. So. And apparently uh, Renegade Games is going to be like supporting uh, like an online community and tournament play at a bunch of like wow. FLGSs. So, I mean, it could be, it could legit, this is like the most hopeful one could be for, a resurgence of Heroescape. Heroescape fans, like this is as close to being like, it's coming that we can really yeah. like, you know, on the edge of, still erring on on the side of caution, but I'm excited. It's dope. It's really good news. I'm, I'm really pumped. That's great banter. That's a fantastic banter to start us off there. Well, I guess, I mean, we'll put the sandwich where the two pieces of bread are the, the biggest. So we'll sandwich my little banter in at this point. It's really more just uh, something I want listener to take a look at in the show notes when this episode posts. Uh, Leland, you've seen I've sent you a few links uh, to a YouTube channel um, that does daily Breath of or, uh, daily Tears of the Kingdom Zelda videos. Uh, it's called Top Gaming Plays, and it's pretty cool. That channel they only post like a seven minute video every day, but listener. Even if you will never play Zelda in your life, even if you have never played Zelda, there is a new feature similar to the old game Ratchet and Clank in this new Zelda where you have a power that allows you to assemble objects into a vehicle. There's simple engines. It's not like you have to play around with wiring. It's like put a different sorts of fans or propellers and they just run. You do have batteries. You can put batteries on, you know, your vehicles, but the creativity that the Zelda community is doing with these vehicles is literally there are no words. Like I am certain what is being created is way outside of what Nintendo 
thought would be created by these people because uh, Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom use a very robust physics, open world physics system. I mean, you really feel like you can do what you want within the limits of the parts available, but you don't feel that limited. And people are making like huge mechas. They're making like giant tanks. They're making like freakish machines that like stand still. But one guy made a machine that like has belt rollers. So it agitates chickens. And when chickens are constantly agitated, they shit eggs. So this guy can shit like a hundred eggs per minute with his machine. (laughs) And eggs are good food. But you just see these chickens like "Ah, ah, ah, ah," caught in like a cell and he's got like, you know, little slits so the eggs bounce out and he just collects oh hundred eggs and goodness. picks them up. <laughs> you have something, so there's Koroks in those games and Koroks are like tree people. They're kind of cute and they literally give you hardened shit as a token. And you collect these tokens and you give them to this one uh, big Korok and he gets happy and then he expands your inventory for like swords, shields, bows. But there's what's called the Korok Space Program that's just spontaneously developed, which is to try to make a rocket ship enough to take these fat Koroks that are laying around because they're so fat they can't move. I think they actually have a backpack or something. But like put them in a vehicle and literally because there's sky in that game that's high up, blast them past the sky and like break the game. Like blast a poor fat Korok in his face. (laughs) (laughs) So every day you see these like giant Saturn V rocket contraptions people are building to try to shoot a poor Korok. And of course, (laughs) of course, the little thing screams. It's just like, because you send it up into space. (laughs) It is a really entertaining channel. So I just wanted it in the show notes because it's topical. Zelda just got released a couple of weeks ago. Cool. Yeah, no, I've I've definitely definitely seen a lot of like TikTok clips of what people are building. It looks nuts like absolutely bonkers like it, it makes nuts. me want to actually play it. you will like it because there's a little factorio in it that you can get into there there is a small level of automation it's interesting because nobody in that game is talking about the story of zelda nobody even gives a shit that it is zelda everybody's just exploring the land in the mechanics and everybody's having fun which includes myself because like with breath of the wild i didn't care much for the story there was much story to speak of it was everything else that's fun. And this does dial it up. Yeah, I have I had heard some people speculating that Breath of the Wild was or sorry, Tears of the Kingdom was what they wanted Breath of the Wild to be, but they dialed it back to what ultimately Breath of the Wild was as a test for this franchise into the type of game that Breath of the Wild and now Tears of the Kingdom in like the open world kind of sandboxy thing. I don't know what, how much validity there is to that, if any, but it seems interesting. I mean, it you you had commented in some of our chats that you felt thought, at least at the very beginning, your kind of initial impressions of Tears of the Kingdom was that it was like the best and most expensive mod you've ever played, like as yeah. if it was a modded version of Breath of the Wild. Do you still feel that way? How many hours in are you? Uh, I'm probably about... 10 to 12 hours in, I'm exploring the location where I landed very carefully because it's a lot of fun after the training area, which is up in the sky, you just jump from the sky, but you don't have your hang glider or parachute. The game makes you jump. It takes you about a minute to fall. Like there's a lot of sky. (laughs) Yeah. So you're diving there. I'm like, 
what the fuck do I do? Like, I, I was actually about to restart the game because I thought I did something wrong. But there was a prompt that said, you know, jump. So I did. And uh, I ended up landing in a pond, which broke my fall. But what, what was good about that, and we should discuss Zelda more later, maybe like next podcast, but or later in the summer when you actually play it. But I didn't really recognize the land. I certainly didn't recognize the spot that I fell. And I purposefully didn't check my map because I just wanted to explore. I'm like, wow, okay, I'm drawing myself off at the side of a pond. I'm naked, except for underwear. I have no weapons. Like, this is scary, but this is also really fun. So, you know, collected a few nuts, uh, found some apples, found a nice, like a guy that, I don't know, I retrieved something for him and he said, use my fire. So I dropped some apples by his fire, which toasted them. So they like help with your health a little bit. So long story short, I've been playing, I've been really trying to, um, search this area where I landed to death, like find every shrine, every secret, every little cave. Um, so I've spent all my 10 or 12 hours in just two out of the 10 regions in the game. And when I say like I haven't gone outside of those two regions, I mean, I really haven't gone outside of those those two regions, which is cool because I still have like eight tenths of the game to explore. But yeah, anyways, uh, don't want to go on a tangent on Zelda too much there. Um, do, you, do you have a second banter? Sure. Uh, I just this week, actually, as, uh, it just kind of came up in my YouTube feed. I've been watching Plants for Zombie speedruns. Oh, and I don't know. It's just like, like they're not like the full speed run. It's more of like a synopsis of a speed run that this particular YouTube creator is doing. Again, I I don't even know what the account is because like it just showed up in the in the feed. So I'm, oh cool, <laughs> Panzer Zombies. But it kind of made me. It just you know it was very nostalgic because way back in the day, you and I played the hell out of Plants vs Zombies. Oh yeah, such a great game. And then. I also stumbled across a, it was a three-part video that I actually watched all three parts about somebody trying to beat Plants vs. Zombies 2 using only Plants vs. Zombie 1 plants. Ah. So there were a number, I mean, you got through the game, but there were a number of levels that just ended up being impossible just because of the variety of how many plants are in, in PV2. But it just like reminded me of how disappointed I was for Plants vs. Zombie 2 when it came out. And kind of looking at it, I think maybe it would be interesting if we had a segment on reflecting on the changes between the two, because Plants vs. Zombie 1 versus 2, like when 2 came out, it was, it was, I don't even know what the year it was, but it was like a, around the, like the height of mobile gaming or as mobile gaming was starting to roll out. And like the entire thing is just completely gamified as far as like micro microtransactions. And by the looks of this video, like far worse than it was when it originally launched so maybe that might be something interesting to to talk about and to me it's like a downfall of plants for zombies interesting yeah i would totally i mean i love the first game i i would totally get the second game and uh rip through it a bit and i, I think that's a great idea for a segment plants versus zombies i mean you're right it was a, a big thing for us for like a year or two i played the shit out of that game so that's cool. Yeah, yeah, we'll look into that. My final banter that I've got here, which is what I called my my big banter, Black Mirror, season six, I believe it is, 
comes out uh, June 15th, so the day that this podcast launches. So if listener is a, a go-getter who listens to us the first day, then you'll hear this the day that uh, Black Mirror comes out. Several new episodes. I think there's like, well, I think there's like five. But there's two that I found the synopsis on that I think are really interesting that I wanted to bring up in, in banter. So the first episode that I'm looking forward to is called Joan is Awful. And the synopsis is <laughs> an average woman is stunned to discover a global streaming platform has launched a prestige TV drama adaptation of her life starring Selma Hayek. And it also, it says that the cast also includes Michael Sarah. I mean, he's always zany and whatever he's in, but what I like about that is you probably don't know this, but yesterday was the, um, I mean, not for listener when this drops, but yesterday for when we're recording was the 25th anniversary of the Truman show being released. Ooh. One of my all time favorites. Same. You, you do like it that much. Love that was that my question. So good. In case I don't see you. Good afternoon. Good evening. And good night. Oh, so I, I just love that movie to death. Watched it last year, actually. So this Black Mirror episode, Joan is Awful, kind of sounds like Black Mirror taking on the Truman Show idea. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Does that interest you as a, a fan of Truman Show, hearing that, you know, the synopsis of this episode? Yeah, I mean, I'm intrigued. Like, I'll, I'll already watch Black Mirror. I mean, I'm a fan of, of this series. There's certainly better episodes, some yes. better episodes than than others. But, I mean, when you're... When anytime you have like an anthology collection of shows that kind of serves as it's the same thing as like I think you should leave right like yeah there are some really great comedy sketches in the three seasons now because the the third season of that just came out recently but there are there are some that just kind of fall really flat and maybe comedy is I mean comedy is far more subjective than perhaps something like Black Mirror is trying to go for whereas. I mean, the point of Black Mirror is to show like some type of dystopia, really, right? I mean, in, in a majority of its episodes and trying to make this some type of social commentary on like an aspect of our lives that kind of runs rampant. Um, and again, it's it's often very successful. Oftentimes it's not. So, yeah, I'm, I, I, I think that sounds cool. I, I, it's interesting. Now, the other episode I'm interested in... There's only two I'm going to point out. I'll watch them all, but uh, it's called Beyond the Sea in an alternative 1969. So already I'm thinking alternative world, similar to Man in the High Castle, my second favorite show. So that's intriguing. It says, in an alternative 1969, two men on a perilous high-tech mission wrestle with the consequences of an unimaginable tragedy. So you're probably like, okay, well, you know, whatever. That's not saying much. Starring, starring Aaron Paul and Josh fucking Hartnett. After all these years, <laughs> he resurfaces. There he, he resurfaces. Is. He could be a cyborg. I don't know. I haven't seen him in 15 years. But Josh Hartnett <laughs> lives. And he will be on some sort of visual medium that is proof of life. <laughs> so i i'm excited josh hartman he That's was never one of my favorite actors but you have this guy good looking leading man type actor pops up in a bunch of famous movies and then he is gone and i don't even hear like anything written about why he's gone i think i looked up one time and you know saw that he was still alive like three years ago so it's like okay whatever 
like, yeah, he's an actor that just randomly disappeared. I still don't know where he went. All I know is he's back. And to be honest, that does combining him with Aaron Paul from Breaking Bad. Yeah. You know, that that casting alone makes me excited for that episode. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, 1969 immediately, I think of like the moon landing so i wonder if it is mm. i mean and it's you know the synopsis mentioned like high tech so maybe it's not them on a boat in the sea but the sea is in the vast sea of of space kind of thing i wouldn't be surprised if it went that way but yeah that, i mean i'm intrigued by that casting too i like it yeah so i mean for banter that's that's all i got cool let's okay let's 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 go let's go lead us in it is time for Video Game Variety Show. This segment called Scam Citizen, but it does have a question mark on the end. Because <laughs> we're not saying it's a scam. We're, we're going to discuss it. So we're going to get into some stories, which I hope are fun for you, listener, about Leland and I playing the game together a little bit. We also have some individual stories. But what I want to do to start is to give a his brief history of what Star Citizen is. And then I want to ask about Leland's experience to start with it. How he got into it, ships he owned, how much money he spent. He's willing to admit it. So listener, unless you, I mean, if you listen to our show, I got to be putting like 95% chance you know what Star Citizen is. But if not, it is a uh, almost, I would call it a space lifestyle simulation because there's a lot you can do. Uh, it started with a private uh, crowdfunding initiative in 2012, leading to a Kickstarter in late uh, 2012 that was highly successful, and it brought in <laughs> it brought in two million dollars at the time. And I remember when that was like Whoa. such a big deal. Yeah, it was like, oh my goodness, this is like the biggest thing ever. Nobody knew what was coming. I mean, I'm I'm trying to to say just enough, but not overwhelm listeners. So as part of the Star Citizen package, what ended up happening was this $2 million for them was a lot of money at the time. I believe they were only trying to max out at 200K. So the original idea of Star Citizen was a single player game, similar to Chris Roberts' Wing Commander game series. Uh, where you'd be flying around a plane, there'd be full, you know, movie segments and stuff, cutscenes, and that was called Squadron Forty Two. So, what else they were going to create, which was more intriguing to a lot of players, was a large online, massively multiplayer, persistent universe, and they promised the heck out of everything with this, like you know, giant procedurally generated planets that you could fly right into. First-person shooter combat, seamlessly integrated with space combat, tons of ships. As Chris Roberts got feedback, I believe initially there was only the, um, I believe the ship was called the MISC Freelancer. It was the only kind of like non-combat ship to start, and it sold really well. And the Star Citizen people found out what people really want is just like second life, but in space. Um, and that's what Star Citizens turned into. The problem is Star Citizen continually earned a lot of money, listener, like hundreds of millions of dollars and like consistently selling a ton uh, of just new ships, memberships. The problem is their biggest money maker is it started when they offered a Corvette that I think was a thousand dollars or something like that. And they sold out in like minutes. 
And they started to offer bigger ships, like $5,000 destroyers, $5,000 US, real money to buy. And those sold out right away. So they realized they had a great business model to keep money coming in by creating new ships that aren't even programmed in the game yet, in most cases. So you can't even fly them, but you're banking on them being cool when they're actually made. And people will shell out money. So anytime RSI, Robert Space Industries, the, the company that makes the game, needs more money, they just release new ships or just talk about a new ship and say it's going to be this amount of money and people pay. So that's what leads into that is this or is this not a scam? Because 11 years later, 11 years, listener, there is no Squadron 42. There is an Alpha... Uh, alpha massively multiplayer universe persistent universe with one major star system and they're adding stuff but it's very janky there's tons of bugs tons of visual errors and things go wrong and the game can crash and it depends what server you get so a lot of people say it's a scam there's certain people like my friend joe who really just wanted squadron 42 more than anything else and um he doesn't get that and that's not even on the radar. As you told me last week, it's not even available on the website anymore. Yeah, so I just wanted to give a quick outline. So there is something that you can play, and we'll get into how much fun we have with it. But, uh, but you know, before we dive into these specifics here, Leland, I want to open space for you, like opening thoughts on Star Citizen. Anything I missed? Anything you want to say? Uh, no, I mean, it sounds sounds pretty... Like, the the history of this game is just so comprehensive that there's no possible way that in a single in a single segment that we could cover everything. I mean like you say the the what the original concept for this game that Chris Roberts had just is so vastly different from what is being currently built right now. And I think a lot of people just call like when you think when they think Star Citizen they think just feature creep. And it's just feature after feature after feature just being planned and implementation being started but it's just there's such a backlog of things that people kind of just want look just just focus on x y and z we don't care about getting a b and c down the road right now just make sure what we have now works for us right and the 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 biggest problem with star citizen is that CIG uh, slash RSI, whatever the difference between those are, but CIG, the developing company, they try to walk a line with Star Citizen as it being in alpha. And that is an excuse that oftentimes gets, gets, you know, rested back on is, well, you have to excuse the poor state of it because it's an alpha. And what we're doing is in, all in the purposes of testing because it's an alpha and we need to do these things because it's an alpha. But they also sell it and market it as if it's a live service game already able to go. I mean, surely you've seen the YouTube ads for Star Citizen that right across the page of it says playable now. And when those ads first started airing and, and, and were put out there during um, patch 3.18, at that time, the game was in what long time players of it said was the worst state the game had ever been in. And that coincided with their implementation of what they call PES, the Persistent Entity Streaming, which is this new like tech that they've that CIG has developed and 
that's another thing that they like to do is they 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 have these ideas, but they the technology actually doesn't exist yet. So they have to build the technology, which is also another part of why this development is taking so long. But the persistent entity streaming, the point of it is is you know like you said it's it's a simulator is what this is so everything takes time in this game that's what this game is designed is to take up your time and you can have a lot of fun while it's taking your time but there are also a lot of things that is really aggravating but if you were to take a drink and then you drop a that water bottle on the ground pes makes it so the next day you log on and if you happen to get into the same shard or the which is their name for the server the, the, the shard number is what it has that bottle, that discarded bottle, unless someone else had come along and picked it up, will still be in the exact spot that you dropped it. That's the idea behind PES. And when it first was implemented in 3.18, it was really cool. Like if you got into a fresh server and then you like, uh, you know, quantum travel to like a space station and there's just like abandoned ships just float. Like you can just see them popping up on your radar, just float like dozens and dozens of abandoned ships just floating around the station. It's cool. And then if you come across on a planet and you find wreckage and you're like, well, what the hell happened here? There's like three ships here that just exploded and rained down to the surface. Like that shit is cool to see and to, to ponder what could possibly happen here. But the problem is it just stacks up, it stacks up. And then their servers, the back end eventually just can't handle all of the entities that they have. So they're still fine tuning that and tweaking that and blah, blah, blah. But that's, I don't know. That's just like one recent part of the entire picture, but TLDR. I love this game. <laughs> I absolutely <laughs> love this game. And a game has never pissed me off more than this game. Never. Like I swear to Christ, no, no souls game, nothing. There are just times when this, when star citizen doesn't work and it, or works so poorly that, I want to smash every piece of electronics within arm's reach of me. Like it's so fucking frustrating because, and I think this is something pretty common. You can see through like people like YouTube video impressions of this game. Why that is so aggravating is because when it works, it is a hell of a lot of fun. And there's mm -hmm. so much good stuff there when it's working properly. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I mean, I've had much less experience with it. Than you, I probably only played five hours total lifetime. But when I played, it's been a lot of fun. It, it's been janky. There's been issues, um, which I'll bring up in my my kind of experiences summary with it. Lots of issues. But yeah, it, it, it's been a lot of fun. And I mean, one thing you and I are going to have to have a comment on at the end of the segment is do we each believe it's a scam or not? We can probably think what way we're leaning, but I think my I have an answer that's a little complex. But let's um let's discuss before we discuss our time doing Star Citizen together. Tell me about your experience. Like, when did you first get into it? Why did like what made you do this huge, you know, thirty gigabyte download to start? Um, tell me about your experience in like your early days and and leading up to now, best as you can. Uh, well, my uh, co-host of the Incursion Party, Bill, uh, has been into Star Citizen longer than I have. Um, and it was in 2020 that I actually got a, a full like PC rig that was able to play it. And it looked really cool. And I'm like, hey, why the hell not? It's COVID. At the time, I was laid off from work because of COVID. So why the fuck not? I'll get this. I think I got like the cheapest starter pack, which uh, is the cheapest ship that comes with a game package 
at the time and still is, I believe, 45 US dollars. So I'm like, okay, I c- that's fine. That's doable. I mean, I just shelled out 1500 for my, my computer. What's another, what's another 60 Canadian bucks, right? And I, yeah, I've been basically playing since on and off since 2020 because there's definitely like times where there's like a drought of new update content um, or at least things that feel like significant. And it's really in the last like year, a lot of new features have been put in a lot of new stuff. And the game is like, there's, there's a quite a number of game loops that still need work, but are really fun to, to do. Awesome. And and so has that been the majority of your playing has been with Bill? Like did Bill help orientate you to the game or did you self learn everything? Um, definitely, uh, have played a lot with, with Bill at first. I can't really remember at first. I definitely didn't have like the person that could guide me through like kind of what I did, you know, when we played together. Um, that is another huge fault of this game is like there, it doesn't tell you how to do anything. No, nothing. This game, you've helped me so much want to get back into the game with the little bit you t- you were able to teach me when we played because like fuck this game has like the the highest climb as a newbie to learn it like I, I i don't know what i would do i remember i tried for like an hour i barely got on like a monorail system <laughs> i i accidentally because i guess there's a buy in a quick buy button i accidentally quick bought myself an energy drink and knowing in star citizen, almost everything's for sale. There's like five different sodas you can buy, but I grabbed this one and I pressed the wrong button to like pour half of it out on the ground around my shoes. And then I found the drink button, but I wasn't thirsty. So yeah, it's, it's really, it took me forever to, to find a ship and I'm sure it'll take me a while to figure out how to do jobs and earn money and, maneuver and stuff like that so yeah they need a better tutorial that's definitely one of my big big complaints with it yeah i mean i guess my experience was uh my friend joe who already mentioned this episode he's big into science fiction and gaming we we do some gaming together usually monthly and um he sent me the youtube video for the the launch video for it and he was very much into wing commander and even more so a game called freelancer game which he actually gifted to me physical copy which was the closest thing to star citizen before star citizen another chris roberts game about uh there was a main story which was quite good but you could do you could do some limited mining and pirating and odd jobs and stuff like that too so check out bars check out stores so it was kind of cool but then yeah joe got really disappointed because he, he he was disappointed within like two years of not having anything made And um, him and I only ever played the game together once was at the very beginning of the persistent universe. I mean, my story about that time, not not a lot happened in that session, except two stories for note. The one that I know I've said on this podcast before was a guy who told me he had something special to give me. And he kept like leading me into this dark alley. And it was like, I don't know how they programmed it, but it was like the longest dark alley in a game and it was like you know back here just a little bit more just a little bit more and then i was like stranger <laughs> danger i might have even yelled that into my mic and i just booked it away from this guy <laughs> and then 
We had another guy because I was I had a constellation, which you're gonna fly in with me the next time we play. Constellation listener, it's akin to a, a ship like the Millennium Falcon in Star Wars. Multi-crew, small. You wouldn't call it a capital ship. You wouldn't call it a, even like a Corvette or anything. No, it's a it's a medium fighter, medium cargo, multi-role, multi-crew ship. Yeah, medium multi-role. It's got a turret on the top and bottom, some decent weapons. Just seems decent all around. But it's got a a, a belly uh, door so that uh, raises and closes. So you want to get like a hover cycle or something in there. But I mean, I opened it just for Joe and I to get in. And we had this dude crawl in on his belly. And we're like, dude, get the fuck out. Like, I'm just, I just want to play with my friend, please. And this guy was just like, crawl on his belly. So his head was always facing us. Like he was staring at us. And we're like, <laughs> um, um, there's like no weapons at the time. So we didn't know what to do. So then I remember I started to like raise and lower the lift to like scare him. Be like, hey, we want to get out of here, please. And he still would just, he, he never got up from prone. He just kept crawling around like a worm Weird. on this little door. And finally, he had like half his body extended while I was raising and lowering it. So I'm like, close it, close it, close it. And he like <laughs> squirted out. And I remember my constellation was taking off. And this poor guy is like still prone position, but like staring up at my ship <laughs> as we took away. I'm like, it's not your ship. Don't be sad. You never own this. Yeah. So that was my first experience. My experience with you was was interesting because we played twice. The first time didn't really work because I took my good fighter out, which is Super Hornet. And then I thought I saw a warp, which was like the there's like a, a company that's like Microsoft in the game. It's called like Microtech. Microtech. That's it. So it's this tall building and it had this like glowy round thing. And I thought it was like a warp or like a jump point. So I tried to fly into that. And my ship just exploded. This was just like <laughs> it was a sign, a sign <laughs> on a on a high rise. <laughs> but like, I mean, again, the game doesn't tell you anything. So there's so many crazy ways to die. So then I took out my other ship with a hyperdrive. And I was fine. I was going to wait for you between two buildings because you're going to fly to me. But then there's so many buttons and like pressing any button on like your keyboard seems to do something. And I accidentally, I accidentally turned all power off. So my ship just <laughs> like fell like a rock straight down. And then I don't know how to reactivate power. So the only thing I had was like my tiny little no hyperdrive point defense fighter. I tried to fly to you and couldn't get to you because it just would have taken too long. You're in the space station above the planet. So then we picked it up a second time, which was much more entertaining. Do you want to start on explaining the, the meantime? Because like, I'm going to be pointing out humor all over here, but <laughs> I, I'd be uh, interested sure. in how you, you talk about the missions that we did and well, the first, I believe the first mission we did, um, so so like you said, there is one star system, it's the Stanton system right now, and they're working on a second, it's going to be, it's called Pyro, and it's going to be more of a lawless place, uh, so there's definitely like opportunities to pirate in this game, and you can certainly be a criminal, there's a criminal crime stat system, and yada yada yada, but we didn't get into any crime this, this go around, but. There's four moons, or four, sorry, four planets in the Stanton system. Each have a number of moons around them with different stations in their orbit, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So depending on what system you're in, also depends on what types of missions you get. 
uh, or what variation of missions you get. So we were at Microtech and out here, one of my new favorite systems, because there's a lot of cool missions out there. But we did this one where we responded to a distress beacon and it's on one of the largest ships in game. The 890 jump is literally just a space yacht, very luxury, bougie, bougie ship, right? And it's being, it's under assault by pirates. So we get in there and it's kind of a, you fly there and then you, you have the dogfight a few ships in space and then you EVA from your ship to the, the 890 jump, get on board. And then there's first person shooting combat and you just clear the ship of, of people. Very cool mission. Very fun. Great place to get loot because, you know, if you have a tractor beam on you, you can just tractor beam the dead bodies out onto your ship, strip them into your ship's inventory. And then you're of course left with the ship full of naked bodies that you have to dump into space. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it's all par for the course. <laughs> yeah. See, see, that was one of the most amusing things for me on, on the main, main segment that we played listener was like, I get onto Leland's ship and it's like, the funny part is how unironic it is. He's just like, oh, I've got a tool for you. Yeah, it's like a little tractor beam. It goes to your gun here. Yeah, as you can see, I've got 30 dead bodies. Um, Just, you know, help me throw them out this <laughs> window here and we'll get started with the, <laughs> you know, the mission. I'm like, so I'm playing this game. Like, this is a game I've waited like 11 years to really dig into. And you've been playing it a lot. And like, what time type of like fucking 1984 hellish dystopia has you <laughs> throwing bodies that Leland is stripped of all valuables? I have expected to see his character have like a, a replacement on his, uh, you know, his multi-tool uh, for dentistry so he can take out gold teeth. <laughs> he was stripping these things blind. And what he's not telling you is like how artistic and beautiful it was to EVA from his ship to the luxury yacht. And there's these motionless bodies as the sun glints off their various angles, just 30 <laughs> bodies floating weightless between yeah. us. It did look like it was like a macabre art piece. Like you would, it, it was like jigsaw put this, this art piece together from the saw series. Like he's, <laughs> It was, yeah, it was really, it was fucked up. <laughs> yeah, it was jigsaw. We're doing his dirty work. <laughs> head to the moon, head to the moon, uh, jigsaw, jigsaw six, the moon. We'd like to play a game. <laughs> We'd like to play a game. But in all seriousness, uh, listener, the, um, the FPS part was really cool. I did experience leg a couple times. Oh yeah. But when it wasn't, it, it was cool. And I mean, to be honest, it was pretty savage. The pirates like. I mean, they'd killed everybody, most mm -hmm. of them in a pool on the yacht. There are all these people just floating in the swimming pool, which is kind of freaky. Uh, but it was a really cool mission. And like, I don't want to gloss. You, you got to understand me, Leland, being someone like really digging into this game for the first time. Like the the space combat, I think we had to take out two pirates in space before we went EVA. That was really cool for me. Uh, Leland has a top turret in his ship. And in Star Citizen, you walk towards the seat, you press use, then you sit down in the seat and Leland's seat actually moves up. It's on rails, moves up to the top turret. And, and I helped him, you know, he had guns and I had guns in the turret and we took out those pirates. And that was really cool. That was really fun. And to be able to seamlessly EVA is an experience in video games I won't ever forget. And this feeds into how complex also the next thing that we did was really funny and fun, mm -hmm. uh, which we'll get into. But it, it feeds into 
how I'm going to answer the question. Is this game a scam? Like, I know I've spent about $550 on this game. I'm pretty sure that's the exact amount, like all in taxes, whatever, on like two or three ships. But there's definitely $500 of entertainment in that game. It, for me, as it stands. And that's what I've been trying to tell Joe, who's not going to give the game a second chance yet. But I keep telling him, I'm like, there is fun to be had in this. As long as you can, like, take it with a grain of salt, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I I'm, I definitely agree. So, to date, I mean, they're, they're, they're very upfront with the funds they've raised. Like, it's all public. So to date, they've raised $588,479,646. And I'm pretty, I believe that includes like that original like Kickstarter and like all their, everything, every crowdfunder thing they've done. And they list a player base of 4,656,006 people, or at least I think that is like created accounts though. I don't know if that actually, if that's actually like game packages because you can make an account, you could buy a ship, but if you don't buy a ship that comes with a game package, you actually can't play, which I don't know. There's there's when it when it comes to this game being a scam, I mean, I'm going to I lean towards no, but it's not real far from yes because as a company and how they operate, CIG, like they are scam artists is what they like they're marketing scam artists and that's what they specialize in. Their marketing team puts in the most work in this fucking game by all accounts and they just sell, sell, sell. To date, they have... So there's 179 ships, which doesn't include ground vehicles. But to date, 128, 128 are f- in-game and flight-ready, which leaves 51 still in concept. And of those 51, I think 30 or more of them are priced at... Or at least the ones that have prices are priced at three hundred, more than $300. Interesting. So I didn't know this. So are you telling me that most of those big capital ships are the ships that are still not not ready, not animated? There is not a single capital gameplay does not exist yet. The current Ooh. the current persistent universe could not support capital gameplay because I think the ultimate idea and goal of it is like it's going to cost you a lot of money to upkeep that capital ship, right? They're just they they couldn't work in the game right now. You know what? This could be the game's Achilles heel at some point. Not saying it would be, it could be. Because the only people that are going to buy those big ships are your heavy users, your big dreamers. And they'll wait a couple years. But what they're not going to do is wait five years while like 20 new light fighters and an ice cream truck in space are fully animated and available because they're simpler. Like, at some point, people are going to say, you know, I paid my $5,000. I want my destroyer. Like, come on, Chris Roberts. What are you doing? Yeah, there was um, there's a YouTube video a few months ago by a creator called Morphologist. He's very popular in the Star Citizen community. And he had done something. It was like an overview of the concept ships left to put into game. And he had had some, like, estimate of, like, their current the current time that they've taken to make some other some comparable ships that it I think the old outcome was like a number of decades before they would actually catch up on what the backlog was at the rate that they're going and yet they still add and sell you new concept ships that oftentimes 
spit in the face of other ships that we already have, make other ships obsolete. Um, they promise, they've constantly promised the user base uh, uh, modularity with their ships. It like, you know, it's come up a number of times and then it just goes away and they don't talk about it until they have a new ship that they're going to make modular. So you can buy the ship and then you can buy the add-on modules for it and make it and do all the, do mining and cargo running and refining and yada, 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 buy all these extra add-ons to the ship and et cetera, et cetera, right? It's all their marketing stuff. They, they have, I think there's four events every year, um, all with different names. Like we just had an Invictus event and Invictus it's called. So it's more like military ship focused. And that's when they have like free fly events. So if you want to try the game, you can again, create an account on robberspaceindustries.com. You don't have to buy anything. You just, you can download the game and, and test it out, which is it ultimately just makes like the global chat full of people asking questions because the game doesn't tell you how to play, right? And how to do some things, uh, which there is a tutorial now in the game. I haven't done it myself, but I, uh, I've heard people say that it's still pretty lacking, but at least it's something. So at these events, they have like an Invictus. We had the Kraken and the Kraken Privateer, uh, respectively worth 1650 and 2000 US dollars. And they only have a limited number of them that they put available to sell during the event. And they always sell out immediately. Like every, I think they do it in batches. Like seconds or minutes. Right? Yes. Like as if you were buying like concert tickets to like the most popular artists that the world, known the world over kind of thing, right? Like that's the demand that these ships that I, I think the Kraken has been promised or in concept since 2016, I believe. Uh, that might be incorrect, but some of these, some of these capital ships were concept ships in 2012, right? That are nowhere near being delivered. So I don't know. They're just like expert marketers and they continuously bring in, bring in capital. Like in the month of May, they raised, oh, $19,311,000 and 160, 163. Yet. So $19.3 million, <laughs> like, and that is from like because the, they had Invictus month, they had that right. That was Invictus month. The 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 amounts that they are raising year over year is going down. So people are spec saying that maybe finally that will trigger something and show them that they need to they need to rein things in and focus on specific things. I mean, it just seems like they never listen to the community. Anyways, there's like every major content creator they're all saying the same shit about what needs to be fixed and prioritized in this game and like CIG just has their own roadmap and doesn't seem to give a fuck so there's a lot of fucking scummy practices that CIG undertakes i mean even we haven't even gotten okay we haven't even got into talking about the CCU game which is a game ab about the game for purpose pr purchasing ships and CCU stands for i think it's cross chassis upgrade <laughs> if you were to buy a CCU on the website, uh, and I, and my knowledge on this is very surface level, so bear with me if I am fumbling uh, or it sounds disconnected or doesn't make any sense because a lot of it doesn't really make sense to me. But if you were to buy a CCU, you could potentially buy a CCU for, say, it was $5, and it's literally just like a token. You're buying this upgrade token. You could upgrade ship A to ship B. You can buy this token that allows you don't have to own either of those ships, but you can own the token for five dollars. Now the price difference between ship A and B might be fifteen dollars, 
So you've just saved yourself $10 by getting this token. And what people do is they build CCU chains, which if you spend enough time and can build it correctly, and like they're often new CCUs will come out at these events. So like Invictus event was a would would have been a good opportunity to look for CCUs to fill in like price gaps because it doesn't matter what the ship is. If you were if you have your goal set on ship Y, you just need A through A to Y in X number of CCUs, right, to get you there to save the most amount of money. Like people are saving. I heard a story of somebody through building CCU chains got the Carrick, which is a very large ship in game worth currently at 600 US dollars. Through playing the CCU game, they got it for $95. Wow. Like those are the savings that you can get, right? So people always say that the CCU game is far more flesh out than Star Citizen actually is or ever will be. So it's, it's, it's ludicrous. It's ludicrous. It, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, maybe it makes more sense to you having a marketing background, but like the, the point of CCU chains, I mean, I guess it is, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, is the idea just, well, even somebody spending time and paying for getting a ship for 50 plus percent off is still a sale we wouldn't have had anyways? Yeah, it, you know what it reminds me of? It's um that subculture of people that are like couponers where it's like they'll get amazing discounts at the grocery store, but that's because they spent like all this time and research to figure out if they buy like 40 yogurts, they get like $500 in free groceries. Right. Like to me, it comes off as that kind of way of gaming the system or the person who has like a paper clip and trades up to a house you know, slowly that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, see, the other thing that CIG likes to do is oftentimes they know where some of the more uh, prevalent gaps in price ranges are. And they just, they just won't put out a CCU for that gap. So oh. they, they, that you will just not be able to find the link in that CCU chain until, you know, I mean, maybe you could be waiting a year, two years building this chain to try to get, a ship for for cheap right like there's a whole there's a there's there's a lot to go that goes into it like uh you want to get a ccu of a ship that's currently on sale because the price is going to go up meaning your ccu is always worth msrp not what it's not what it's currently selling for right what whatever it even if it's discounted because of an event it's your ccu is worth the msrp of the ship and if that msrp goes up your ccu has more value in it and you instead of paying five to get 15 off you've paid five to maybe get 20 or 25 off etc right recently they had they've announced or they increased the price for a couple ships right after they had had a ccu out for those same ships rendering the ccu value of zero dollars Oh, so I think damn. like the cut specifically the Cutlass Black, which is the ship I own, they're raising the the price value from 100 to 110, which implement isn't isn't raised yet, but coming in June 27th they've announced it. So if you have a CCU for the like a Cutlass Black to a ship so that's worth 110 dollars, now the CCU is worthless because the Cutty will that CCU will already be worth 110, right? So. <laughs> I don't know. It's like, I wouldn't, I've heard that people say like, it's 
almost addicting, like, because it's savings. People like to save money, right? Yeah. Uh You kind of are gambling picking up CCUs because, like, if you're sitting on them for a year plus, anything can happen to the value of those, right? The value of the ships or the CCUs themselves. Like, CIG can do whatever the fuck they want, right? There's nothing guaranteeing you that you're going to get the value out of the CCU bought in May of 2023 come May of 2024, right? Yeah. No, you're totally right about that. It's funny. The more we're going along, the more scammy it's feeling. Oh, dude, there's it's we're just scratching the surface is the problem. And that is the real problem with this scam. Well, has someone gone deep, Leland? Like, is there someone on YouTube that has gone so deep and has like a 40 minute video where they expose the entire scam of Star Citizen? Or is it too difficult to do that? (laughs) I think in a 40 minute video, it's too difficult to do that. Uh, But I'm sure you could find a history. Um, I bet you... What you would probably have to do is string together a number of videos that cover like year 2012 to 2016, 2016 to 2020, that kind of thing. Maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've looked it up before, like casually, and there were a lot of videos calling it a scam from the first few years, which I understand that. But their ability to deliver commentary that's useful is limited because like maybe only the hangar module was available back then. So it's like, sure. Yeah, you're criticizing the game hasn't come out in three years or whatever. But, you know, it's not it's not the same issues that we're dealing with as this program, you know, has matured. I do think, uh, you know, it's interesting you brought up my marketing background. Uh, I would completely agree with you that this that what CGI really is, is a like money making machine, you know, that's selling futures. It's like they're selling bonds. But the interest isn't money. The interest is eventually getting your ship. Mm-hmm. It's like, you know, you trust us with this $600 for long enough. You know, it'll pay out. It'll pay out you getting what you bought. Yeah. Well, you know, though, when you say that, there are some people that have benefited from earlier purchases, uh, like owners of the Carrick. I believe the Carrick used to be like, and now you can't get it. It sells for 600 on the site. So if you own a Carrick and paid 250, you've made $350 on this quote unquote investment. So if you were to upgrade or change the Carrick to something else, you now have a $600 value to do that upgrade rather than a $250 value. So there are some instances where long-term investors, and I use that term incredibly loosely, in Star Citizen, have benefited from the length of time that this game has been in development. But Interesting. it ain't everybody. Like, it is a very small percentage of people, right? Like, <laughs> I mean, four million c- citizens who God knows what... Like, okay, I'm going to do the math on that. I was just trying to get the average amount of money... That 4.6 million star citizens would have had to pay to get to 588.4 million. Uh, it looks like it's about 125-ish bucks. Okay, that could make sense. You know what that actually tells me? Because I think that's pretty low. That tells me that you've got a bunch of whales that are like pouring thousands of dollars into this thing. And you probably got a bunch of lucky loos who bought like the Aurora or whatever the $45 ship with the game is. Cheapest way to get the full experience. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You probably have a bunch of those too. 
And so the average is brought down by a bunch of those low one-time sales. You know, while the whales kind of prop this whole thing up, this whole pyramid scheme, pretty much. (laughs) Well, it's funny you say that because they do have a referral program. So you get free ships, uh, free stuff based on the number of referrals you have. Of course, you don't get that free stuff because it's not been invented yet, but eventually you will get this free <laughs> I stuff. I am pretty sure all of the stuff in the referral program is actually in-game as far as I know. <laughs> Although I think the very last thing is a capital ship or, oh, cool. s- or something smaller than that, I think. Like, I think it's a fairly pricey ship, but it's like hundreds of referrals or something. Like, I, I don't even know what the program is. Like, it's ludicrous. It's ludicrous, the number of referrals you need to get to the end of the referral program. You know, I do want to uh, bring up the second part that we did when we played together, which was interesting because we had a second mission to look for this guy that was on a planet somewhere. I don't know if we had known it was a crash site, but that's what it ended up being. Um, We had to basically just find this guy. And it was really cool because that was the first time that I had gone into one of the procedurally generated planets. And I would say that's one of the technologies that they've created with star citizen that, that is legit. That was a stretch goal on their dream list was procedurally generated planets. You flew in towards this planet. It was pretty seamless. We started to go through the atmosphere, you know, was looking for a place to land. It was hilarious because we were kind of in, in a depression. And what did we notice? Well, like, Lots of dead guys, like dozens of them all around the landing zone. Yeah. But there's no other ship. There's just dead people. And so, of course, Leland and I spent a lot of time tractoring them in the hold. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Leland was kind enough to help give me a boost by letting me strip most of them uh, once they were there for like oogles of gear. Yeah, but it was it was pretty crazy. Like that was just we, you and I were like, what's going on? And I think what it was, was like an AI ship was crashing or landing and the bodies were just persistently laying there. Yeah, it was it was like because of the PS, right? The entity, the persistent entities. Uh, Yeah, there was just like so one of the most common like NPC ships at some locations are like a, a Drake Cutlass Black full of NPCs, like as if like it's acting like a dropship. So that's where these bodies come from. It was just dead NPCs. And there was a bit of wreckage around the main wreckage too, but nowhere near the amount of wreckage based on the number of bodies. Like we had to have collected, like, like you said, like three or four dozen bodies. It was ridiculous. It was insanity. Like it was so, we just opened up the back ramp of the ship onto, cause Microtech is mostly snow covered too. And there's this pristine white. There was, you know, the sun was, glinting off of the snow and just littered for as far as you could see just little specks of blue and gray and black of these bodies in their armor just in the snow (laughs) yeah yeah it was uh it was really cool and then if i remember correctly it started to turn to night and with night came like a storm and i think you can press v to wipe your your uh mask because of course you're in a hostile environment you're wearing a suit And I remember I started wiping my mask all the time. Like it was more and more stormy and rainy. And I really appreciated that. That that was a big plus to immersion in the game for me. 
because it felt like I'm on this hostile icy moon, which is going to night and night is obviously colder. There's no solar energy and that, you know, night was causing these storms to appear. Um, so that was really cool. And then what made us leave was a human controlled ship landed at the opposite end of this pretty large depression, but you and I saw its lights and we're like, okay, maybe it's time to get out of here. Like yeah, we, we, we did a lot of bodies. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We, we dipped. And then I went to the turret and as we flew over them, you know, I fired a bunch of shots at them. And I remember I had this existential crisis the next day because I told my friend Joe about our game experience, trying to get him excited for the game. When I told him that part, he's like, well, why did you shoot them? And I'm like, well, I mean, they, they scared me. They came into this thing. It was <laughs> night. You know, they're, they're, they're causing me all this fear. He's like, but did they show any aggression to you? Like, did you meet them? Did you talk to them? Maybe it's like the nicest guy on the server who leads all the new people. And here you are hammering away at him with a, a turret. <laughs> and it was like, it was like, you know, the, the meme where they, they uh, play that song like, hello, darkness, my old friend. It was like yeah. that one. I was like, I was shooting innocence. They didn't do anything to me. What is this game turning me into? Is it revealing my darker, like, space serial killer tendencies? What is going on? So that, that was fun. But I had a lot of fun. I mean, that was pretty much it for our time together so far. But that, that was a lot of fun. Yeah, we didn't do too much. I mean, like, yeah, we did a bit, of, a bit of bounty hunting, a bit of searching. There's mining and salvaging you can do. There's FPS bunker missions you can go in and clear out. And there's a reputation system where, you know, the higher on the rep for different some of the different companies that give you the missions mean you get uh, variation and more difficult of those same missions. Um, so there, there, there's, like, there's a lot to do. And, like, there's a lot of it that is, like, a grind, right? Because every... Normally, every major like happens often in some of these alphas and betas. Like when they have a major update, there is usually a wipe, so you lose all your purchase in-game ships, and you know your your money uh, is wiped out to to base amount, etc. And that's like another thing that I think drives people to buy more ships is because some of the people that have been playing for ever, they've just done the in-game grind of earning the the money in-game money to buy cooler ships in-game. They've just done it so many times that if you you just buy a, a sh another ship that allows you to automatically start one of these gameplay loops because if you want to salvage and mine, you need specific vehicles that allow you to do it. Although mining, you can do hand mining in some of the caves and stuff, but it's not it's not like as far as lucrative as earning money. That's it's not it doesn't earn you much, but I mean, I like hand mining. It's cool. There are missions that take you to caves so you can like kind of kill two birds with one stone. And that's all part of like learning how to play the game right. And you see a lot of creators, um, a lot of their their focus is like number of credits per hour you can earn. And there's a lot of like guides on that that people are interested in because it is a grind. When you are doing like the first like bounty, say you get a bounty hunter mission, which is, a in, you know, in the sky, a dogfighting. Like the base ones give you 4,000 credits, but that's nothing. Ships go for millions of credits, right? Yeah. So the grind is. Yeah, that's nothing. Exactly. The grind is insanity. But again, as you grind rep as well, you earn more from those missions, et cetera, et cetera. So I don't know. I don't know what kind of balance there is really, or if, if there is, there's obviously clear professions that just pay way more 
mining is just so lucrative. I was playing like with Bill and there's a, a few other people in the encouragement party discord that we play. We were in an Argo mole, which is a three person mining ship. It's got three lasers on it, right? It's like this, st- it's like the tier up above the single solo mining ship called the prospector. So it's really cool. Cause you can crack huge rocks, like just massive boulders. And we found a very rare substance. It's called quantanium. It's what, you know, is refined to turn into your quantum fuel for your warp travel, right? It sells crazy amounts. The difference per like box of it, like it's called an SEU is their term of measurement. But a single SEU goes for like 28,000 credits. Whereas the next the next lowest tier is like 7,800 credits of, of material, right? It's very rare in game. We happen to find them on the surface of a, pl- a moon, which is also very rare. And we cracked the two of these rocks, collected it, and I think combined after you refine it, we've made like 1.4 million off of these finds. Like it's it it can be crazy lucrative. It can be good. That's part of what's really fun about mining too, right? Because if you get lucky and you find a great rock and you get like you're just scouring the you're literally just scouring the surfaces of these moons or in the asteroid belts, hitting a scan and looking for the good stuff. Like it's fun. It's great. It's a cool gameplay loop. It's like hit hitting the mother load, Leland. Exactly, exactly. There's gold in them asteroids. But I mean, you know, I joke, but I mean, when you and Bill found that mineral deposit, I mean, you guys were probably fucking stoked. And I mean, that's the fun of the game. Are you kidding? Because I was out like scouting, waiting for him to get there in my prospector. And I'm like 48% quantanium of a 35,000 mass. Right? I'm like, <laughs> what the fuck? Oh my, get over here, Bill. Bill get the fuck Bill, over get here. Over exactly. <laughs> Bring the laser guns. Bring all the guns. <laughs> Just blow this rock apart. <laughs> See, that? that's cool, and that sounds fun. And I hope, you know, when I get back into it, I have moments of that, like, myself. And, you know, that's – that. I mean, I, I enjoy our chat here, but, you know, we do have one more segment to go. I know. We got to wrap this up. I'm set, we we got to wrap this up. So, I mean, kind of where I wanted to go with the end of this is, number one, just comment on a scam. Like, don't, I'm not going to force you to say yes or no, but like comment on the commentary that this game is a scam. Number one. And number two, I'd like you to tell me in what case would you recommend the game to someone? If any case, maybe not, but it seems like you like it. I think as far as all of the criticism towards this game being a scam, it is like 99.9% valid. Like every everything every bit of criticism you hear towards CIG or Chris Roberts and the state of the game, the length of development, like it's all true. And like it's it's like near undeniable, right? It's just it's a fact of this game, it's a fact of the development. If you can get over that and you you if that doesn't bother you, I mean, especially like I've I've spent about five hundred and fifty dollars of into the game as well. A few of those were gifted ships that I gifted to some people. So I've spent my fair chunk of change. And I think, like you said, I've definitely got my money's worth. But I would recommend this to somebody that already knows somebody that plays or has somebody that maybe wants to learn with them because a big part of this game, right, it's supposed to be this MMO type game, is like group play. It's really fun when you can play with with people. And I definitely love playing on my own. Like I love salvaging and mining on my own. But it opens up a lot more when you're able to play with with your friends. Now, I will say it definitely can restrict 
some aspects of the game as far as like earning money because you know if you're sharing missions with four other people you're splitting up the money and the reputation gets split so there's like aspects of the game that maybe you won't like as much in group play but really group play is just is just fun i mean the game often has in-game events too that happen that are meant to incentivize group play so if you if you have friends that already play and they want you to get in i would i would give it a try i would wait for a free fly event don't just drop 45 us dollars on this on a whim because you may be really disappointed interesting interesting because i'll be honest my advice is to do exactly what you said to not do, <laughs> okay. which is which is buy buy the cheapest. Which I'm going to use the, the the term Aurora. It may be a different starter vessel, but when I played, it was called the Aurora. It is. It still is. Okay, so Aurora is a small multi-role little ship. I actually most would recommend this game to someone that likes grinding, that actually takes pleasure in menial tasks. And kind of a very steep learning curve. Yes, I would agree with you 100%. If you know someone who is experienced in the game and willing to lead you, always, always, always start and play with that person. Assuming you're alone, then I would recommend it only for someone that enjoys grinding, you know, has has 45 bucks to burn, where if they only play three hours, they're not going to weep over it. The term I had pre-thought up in my prep for this segment is I don't believe Star Citizen is a scam, but I believe it's scammy, which Mm -hmm. I think is pretty congruent with what you're saying. The entire operations that surround the technical aspect of this game. So other than the people that program the, the planets and keep the servers running, This is a giant system meant to sell you on a dream and sell you on products that don't yet exist and may never exist. And that is the scariest part about this. Do do I have faith that this persistent universe will ever in my lifetime, or pretty much ever, not only pass alpha, but pass beta and become a full release? No, no. I never believe, I do not believe you will ever have a persistent universe that CGI says this is full on running, no beta, no alpha. You know, you have to be ready for some jank, listener. You have to be ready to try to talk to a guard and his head starts to vibrate like a demon's and like go in weird angles and you just need to be ready to walk away from him. You need to be ready that you're going to see a lot of NPCs, few of which can talk to you. You have to be ready that you're going to go on an awesome mission that has a first-person shooter component, but freezes up during some of the coolest moments. Like, you have to be a patient person that understands the state of this game, and you have to be content with it. I would not recommend this game as antithetical as this is to what CGI Industries is trying to sell, which they're trying to sell the future. I'm the opposite. Anyone I would recommend this game to, I would only sell the present. I would say you cannot in any reasonable timeline expect a single player game. You can't expect the Persistent Universe to leave Alpha. You can't expect the Pyro system to be completed. Are you willing to spend $45 to have some fun in a creative little place that's janky? And if you say, yeah, I'd say that's that. Go go spend your 45 bucks. 
Now, I'm not going to recommend that listener does what I do. So I bought a Constellation was like 300 bucks or whatever. There's exchange rate right away. Constellation was first of what I bought. Then I bought a Super Hornet later, which I actually spend most of my time in. I, I would not recommend don't go to the $150 ships. Don't do this because you never pull a flyer or turn a flyer, whatever it is, on like a $150 video game, like another game off Steam. You know, fuck. I, I, I love Stalker, the Stalker series. As you know, Stalker 2 is $150. That game should be a slam dunk for me. Yeah. I still haven't pre-ordered yeah. it because I'm afraid. Don't do that. Don't do that. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I think I think that all makes sense. Um, if you get a Starship, don't buy don't buy concept ships. Don't buy with real money. Don't buy ground vehicles because they're so cheap to buy in game with in game credits. There's just some. There's just things like you just just don't do. If we just stopped buying these concept ships, they would stop making concept ships and focus exactly. on bettering the player experience because they have the persistent universe and they have the persistent test universe and they have a uh, 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 EPTU and they have different waves of those test universes that you have to get invited to go. They have literally levels and levels of them spaces where they can iterate and test this shit. To say that the PU is supposed to be the place to test things um, before anywhere else, like it doesn't make any sense. And the, the it just drives me nuts when people fall back on, oh, it's a fucking alpha, but it's it's a live service game too, so you're right. Most of the learning curve in this game is is learning to deal with bugs that happen because many of them there are workarounds too and you just have to be told them and shown them and and do them yourself to actually learn them so but i will say if you don't have somebody to play with and you are still interested in the game the like the global there's there's a, never a shortage of people in global chat that will offer their help to you if you have a question how do i get out of my cockpit that's a very common new player question well <laughs> hold y and that'll get you out of your seat right just little stuff like that so definitely the community itself is very can is and can be very helpful. So that's that's a plus. I I did notice that listener all the times I played because obviously I've seen global chat. Lots of helpful people, even people like that'll give you a ride to a different system. Yeah. If you don't know how to get there, like that's the most common thing I've seen in global chat is someone saying, you know, hey, I've got a ship and I've got a bunch of seats and I'm gonna fly here anyways. Does anyone want to come? And I mean, people are are hoping or that it's, you know, certain areas where someone can't just pull a pistol and blow your head off. <laughs> well, that's a risk. <laughs> Which could happen in certain spots. It definitely can. But it does seem like there's a lot of trusting people that are willing to help out. So not a scam, but scammy. We agree. Let's move on. All right. Let's move on to where we will not agree. Let's move on to the video game variety show again. A remake part four. Yeah. As we previously said, we are going to be discussing slash reviewing the Resident Evil 4 remake that came out this year. Uh, I believe a couple months ago at this point. And I think I'm just going to lead in with my rating of a 9.5 out of 10. Holy shit. This is such an amazing remake. This is so good. This is so, so, so good. It, pay, it puts RE2 make to shame when I line them up and like, and RE2 make was a, is a great remake too. And it was a great game. Like this is, this game's fantastic. I, my mouth is like literally open. <laughs> I, I, I tried to guess, I guess you would give it a, between an eight and an 8.5, a 9.5. No, dude, Leland this Steel. is a great, great, great game. Buy your 649 if in Canada or your Powerball if in the USA, uh, <laughs> Amer American listener, 
You've heard a 9.5 genuine score on anything from Leland Steele, (laughs) (laughs) which is don't expect to hear that for a long, long time. Okay, Leland. Okay. Okay. See, this is what I want. I I want to understand why you like this game because spoiler listener, I don't like it. So Leland, when you talk about it, okay, I don't know where you want to start. I want to know. Why is this game a great remake, and why is it better than RE2 Make? So whatever order, or however you want to explain that, that's what I'm curious for. Okay, it's better than RE2 Make for me just because of my connection to the original Resident Evil 4. That's really where huh. where that is. As I, do, I don't, I never had a connection to Resident Evil 2, the the OG RE2. So that's why that for me, and that's that's why okay. I'm ranking them for me. So that's really is what it is, but. One, I, I do really love Leon. I like Leon Kennedy. I, I dig him as a character. And I'm like, I dug him in two. I really liked him in RE2 Make because like he was clearly a rookie and they did a really good job of of use, like experiencing it from like a, a rookie police officer kind of view. And then of course you get to re, RE4 Make and he's, he's a veteran now. And I think again, that came through. The gameplay is really super tight. I love, I love the gunplay in it. Um, I love the new, I love the, I really like the new knife, which at first I was iffy on, but I like the new knife mechanics and how it degrades and and you can repair it and, and upgrade it like your other weapons. I like that the the story is much better. There's a lot of aspects of it that are more fleshed out. It's more cohesive. Like it's still light, but compared to the original, it just flows a lot better. And there are things that just are kind of more explained and there's a little more exposition in a few areas uh, just enough to be like, okay, this makes like more sense than it did to me previously. I like the majority of the voice actors, and and I know in there was, um, I think it was two episodes ago, I had bantered about my first impressions of it, and I had said that the dialogue was less cheesy than the original, and I'm going to retract that statement. And while yes, it may be less cheesy, but there's still a lot of like cheese and camp dialogue, yes. which. I really liked and I and it's just like it was updated and I think the biggest update for me is just Ashley. I love Ashley. I like her so yeah. much more in the the remake. She's just like an actual like person and character and completely agree. Less of a burden on Leon throughout the gameplay so it it factors into every aspect of the game for me. I really liked how uh, how some of the areas were a little more streetlined. The castle is is Still the, the the largest section of the game, but not by much. Um, it, it feels more organic to me. I like navigating it. I kind of, I mean, I miss some things in it that they cut out. Uh, I guess we'll go into full spoilers because like it's a, it's a remake. Yeah, go full, go full spoilers. I think the island is improved. Just again, the way the island plays out because it's really by the time you get to it in the original, it just feels like a slog through it. There are still parts of the island, especially like the Regenerators, which are still freaky and annoying and scary as hell, right? There's just like, I don't know, there's just like a, little, a lot of little changes uh, that are just like really impactful for me, for just gameplay-wise, character development-wise. What don't you like about What's your biggest negative about this? In the interest of full disclosure, and this is pretty fucking big disclosure, I haven't completed the game. Shame. Um, that's part of my argument because the game has 16 chapters. I'm on chapter 11 currently, so I've done two-thirds. It's very non-addictive for me. Like, there's nothing that makes me want to move forward. I was trying to complete it for the podcast. And at first I could do one. I said I wanted to do two chapters a night. I was able to do one. 
then it got to the point where I like could just get to the next typewriter save and quit. Oh man, I don't understand. I think my brain makes more of a connection to the original RE4 that we played to absolute hell. And even though I like that game, I have it like, I'm just so sick of the story. I'm so sick of the places. And I may be making more of a connection to it than you do. Like, there's more of a familiarity. Even though it's a remake, I'm like, yep, done that. Oh, look, here's the chandelier I got to swing on as Leon. Oh, look, it's the spot where we need to raise the platforms in the water. I guess I'm going to have to sniper to keep the people that are going to try to grab Ashley. Oh, look, they're trying to grab her in the same spot. That's the kind of stuff that gets to me. It's very iterative. And word of the day, listener, iterative is like a small incremental improvement. And it feels very much in certain ways a small incremental improvement. Uh, in other ways, a big step back. So you asked me, let me try to think of my worst things here on my list. Okay, I'm going to... Well, didn't you just ask me? I did just ask you, and I want to hear it, but just about what you said about how iterative, how it feels just iterative. Like, what? that's the point of remaking something. That is the point to make, to take what sure. is great about a property and just make it better and, in this case, update it to a lot of things. And I compare this to Dead, the Dead Space remake, which I had it said in a banter was also a really great remake. Now, if you compare those two, though, to me, the spirit of remaking something is captured better in Resident Evil 4 versus this Dead Space. Whereas the Dead Space literally was like a carbon copy remake with very few changes. It's just like minor things change to update some out antiquated game systems. Whereas in Resident Evil 4, one, if uh, the RE4 make really, to me, fits feels like it fits with RE2 make and RE3 make. I guess 3 make less so, obviously, because of how we feel about that one comparatively. But it just feels like a natural continuation of one, those three games now, like this quote-unquote trilogy of remakes we have. But also the next the next logical thing for you resident evil 4 from the original yeah okay so i mean i know what you're getting at here and i think that's actually one of my biggest problems and i've been consistent on this saying that i didn't think any of the remakes were necessary but i especially thought the resident evil 4 remake was most unnecessary because counter to re2 make and re3 make those were from the previous generation of consoles RE4 make was from the next generation, I believe Generation 7, because it was on GameCube to start. And I believe that the amount of technological and graphical improvement from that generation to now, it's very noticeable, but it's not nearly enough to warrant a remake. In my opinion, it's a very unnecessary remake. I agree with you that it is, an, it is unnecessary. Like we know, like we, we didn't need it. But the fact that they made it so good, even though that's the case, is what impresses me most with it. Because they, they could have phoned it in. Like, it's like, yes, you're right. Like, it could have been com complete phone in and money cash grab for this property that they've already sold millions and millions of copies, copies on like half a dozen different systems. So I agree with you that it, it's unnecessary. And like, really, 
way i mean same with De- fuck dead space remake was unnecessary dead space was on the 360 for christ's sakes right the generation <laughs> after this like right like uh, yeah no, i know i i completely agree with you there unnecessary Un- unnecessary and i mean like technically for the most part my my probably my one biggest issue i have with it i'll mention in just a moment here is technical but most of my things that i don't like about it are opinionated they're only to do with my preferences, which I will admit. And I will go through them because there's not a okay, time. please. Let's do it. Okay. So at top of the list, I'm going to go negative to positive. I hate to say. The negative I have at the top of my list is there is what is apparently a very widespread graphic bug that makes the game crash. It tells you you don't have enough physical memory, which I do, on my powerful gaming laptop. And the only solution I was able to find on the internet, uh, I mean, a lot of people were dealing with this at launch, uh, was to greatly reduce the graphics. So here I am proudly having this expensive gaming PC, and the only way I can play this game is on low graphical settings across the board, because somehow in playtesting, they didn't find out that lots of hardware would not be able to run their game on medium or high graphical settings. Like, it it just seems like a very big oversight to me. I'm assuming, Leland, the game works fine graphically on whatever rig you have, but just, like, understand from my perspective, I've never seen the game as good-looking as you. I've had to minimize the shit out of this game just to get it running consistently. So that's a problem. I mean, I played mine on the PS5, so I had no, no troubles with it. Okay. Yeah, so you're definitely seeing a lot better looking RE than I am. And maybe that's a legitimate criticism from myself because number one, it, it, it is a technical issue. They should have figured out. Number two, what that does for me is bring the graphics of the original and the graphics of this remake much closer right. than what you're seeing. Right. Like I'm seeing a lot of pixels and stuff like that up close, but that's the only way to keep my rig running the game. So that's my biggest. Now, my second biggest is nitpicky because I know you're going to agree with me. You're just not going to agree with me that this bad, this negative should be as bad as my mind has it, which is I didn't look up her name. I was going to look it up. But then I thought like, okay, even though we're a small podcast, I don't want to like, you know, just trample someone, someone's real name. But the actress they've hired for Ada Wong is horrific. Terrible. Every scene I've seen so far. Very bad. She is... (laughs) She is so bad. The thoughts cross my mind. Like, is she trying to sabotage her lines? Like, we're we're talking like Hayden Christensen level delivery from <laughs> the Star Wars prequels for her. It's like, oh, Leon. Yeah, I never thought I'd see you again. Just watch out for Salazar. He's a bad man. And it's that's like, come on, girl. That's not exaggeration, listener. Like, legitimately, she does horrible. A, it's it's very poor. Like, she's as bad as Ashley is good, right? Like, yes, yes. And uh, we will get to Ashley in a very, very good way. Yeah. So I've got that. Uh, what do I have? Because I've got these these ranked. Oh, I like listener, and this is my experience. But I think what really soured me for this game is I had a really bad start. If you've ever played RE4, and this is the same in the remake, uh, you you find the village early on in the first chapter, and the villagers attack you. And I'll agree, like, maybe I just suck horrifically at this game. But I was dying over and over and over to these villagers, and I was trying to play my ass off, 
hide, fight directly, use grenades, don't use grenades. And I was just getting torn apart on normal mode. I am legitimately impressed that Leland and Ghost Marty beat this even on normal mode. Because I had a completely different experience, which was one of the most uh, least forgiving video game experiences I had. And there's a point where I'm like, I'm on death five today. If I die up until 10 times on the stupid village scene, then the game, <laughs> the game was offering to switch me to assisted mode, which yeah. is beaten baby mode. Yeah. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to accept it. If I have that 10th death and I legitimately tried to avoid the 10th death because <laughs> I knew it was going to change. It, it, I knew that once it changed to assisted, you can't change back for that play run. Right. right. And I, I was very depressed actually in the moment when I finally clicked accept, but I wasn't going to move past that point. Otherwise, it, it's a very difficult game for me. It is. No, and not, I mean, not just for you. It, it is a difficult game, uh, which I mean, I, which is part of why I like the, 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 you know, combat mechanics of it and, and how, how it feels to play. Like I, my first run through was on hardcore and yeah, that village part is very, very difficult. Um, a lot of sections of this game are very difficult. And I think part of that is why like I enjoy it. I mean, obviously, you know, we, we all know that I like difficult. I like playing difficult games. I like the challenge. And, you know, I think I'm coming around on giving you shit for playing games on their easiest difficulty. Because if it's just going to mean that you're actually going to enjoy your experience, then who fucking cares, right? Like, I'm coming around on that. Obviously, it's not my preferred uh, experience. No, of course not. But, yeah, I mean, I really hope that, you know, I had hoped that getting switching to assisted would allow you to actually enjoy <laughs> the cool aspects of the game. And, like, being able to see the changes. Because that was a part of also what I really liked is just seeing the changes and like rec like you said you recognize places and you know settings that you're in and uh like protecting Ashley as she's turning the cranks etc. I like seeing the changes there and I liked playing through them again it had been a long a long enough time since our last Ariathon since I had recovered from that emotionally and yeah that was part of what I really liked. Well the good news is here we're we're actually past most of my Big bad stuff. My big bad stuff was, to summarize for you and listener, day one graphical bug, non-addictive, very uh, iterative, Ada Wong voice acting, and that the game feels unfairly difficult, especially in the village scene. That's Those are my worst criticisms. So everything else from here, I feel a little bit less for. And there's some that you might think were going to be mentioned that I'm not going to mention because I've actually come around on it. One of it was I told you and Ghost Marty I thought it would, it felt too much like a walking simulator. I still feel like that in moments, but I think you're correct in that Resident Evil 4, the original, was similar. It had similar tight corridors it forced you down. I think the difference is the tight corridors in RE4 make have a lot more like foliage. There's a lot more going on, so it feels like you're more in a tunnel. Whereas in RE4, you may have been tunneled in a spot that was about a similar width, but they didn't have the graphical ability on the GameCube or PS2 to make like a lot of rocks and foliage. So it seemed more open when it wasn't actually more open. So that's an area I've taken, taken back on. And the only other even like medium 
uh, medium level criticism I have of it. I'm just done with the RE engine. Now that that's a personal thing. We've had Resident Evil 7, Resident Evil 8, Resident Evil 2 make, Resident Evil 3 make, now Resident Evil 4 make, all done on this special Capcom RE engine they use. And it just, it's really samey to me. There's a lot of similar things like barrels or things of special interest. They're all painted bright yellow, so you can't miss them. You want Goo Goo Baby mode, it's like, oh, look, there's a ladder slathered in yellow paint. I guess I should see if I can climb up it. <laughs> okay. I just think that's that's not really needed. And, yeah, and I mean, just the RE engine thing, it's run its course. I feel like the remake was was unnecessary, but I mean, still technically beside the the issue I'm having with the graphics, it technically it runs well otherwise. Uh, so I could see why people think it's fun. You're right about the gunplay. The gunplay's cool. I mean, I like it when I get a drop on the Ganados. I mean, now I'm almost getting into the positives, which is good. Uh, so I should get into my my very... Well, actually, no, there's one more moderate negative, which goes to something you said. The game is weird because you go through certain spots and it warps you, like it takes you to a spot a lot later than you would have gone in the original RE4. Where in the original RE4, there might be like a long path or a mini village you have to get to. In a number of spots in RE4 make, you just open a door and suddenly you're in a new spot. And it's like you almost warp. Um, and I know Ghost Marty said that actually helps him with the pay, uh, pacing. But to me, the game still feels bloated. Like I know I'm at chapter 11, but I, I feel like I played the game a lot. Maybe that's because I've had so many deaths. But I know there's 16 chapters and I'm still in the castle and I'm like, oof, this just seems like a bloated game. I don't know if you have a response to that or if you want to call me crazy or. Yeah, I don't I don't know. I mean, again, compared to how the original felt, I mean, my first playthrough on hardcore took me just under 22 hours. My second playthrough only took me 10. Okay, so a lot quicker the second time. Okay, I could see that. My last two, I, I only have, and they're both small. Like, we're almost on to the fun stuff where you and me get to <laughs> sing Kumbaya together. I oddly, so so these are minor. I need to point this out. I've ranked these, listener, these last two are minor. So don't don't take these as a hill I'll die on. I felt the fight with ben, Benitez Mendez, the big cheese of the village. It was oddly more restrictive. Now, in the original game, it takes place in a barn, and the barn is on fire. But you can move around Mendez, who is the boss. I'll just call him the Big Cheese. You can move around him. There's like an upper level you can climb. You can get some ammunition, maybe snipe him from this upper level. He can knock you down. Um, but for whatever reason, in RE4, make they cut out half the barn. Half the barn is always covered by fire and the Big Cheese. And so what that means is you have very limited movement. There is a second level you can get to that has a little bit of ammunition, but it's cut in half. And he becomes a boss that's basically like a shooting gallery where I beat him my first try, but I felt like other than running to the second level to escape a big punch I saw coming or try to look for more ammunition, I was mostly just stationary, plugging him until he died. And I felt that was a small step back from the original fight. Did you notice a difference when you fought him? Honestly, no. But now that you say it, um, you're right. The the whole front half part of that barn 
in the original, you could just run like, and there's a lot more space to run away from him. You're right. You are, now that you say it, but I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I thought the fight was, was cool. It, I remember in the original, it being a lot more difficult. So maybe that plays into that too. And in the, in the, in the remake, it is fairly easy. I think, I think possibly a, maybe some of the thinking is that there are, so in the, in our remake, there's like, there's no longer um, contextual button prompts, right? Like in the original, now you, with your knife, you can, if you block uh, time, right, you can deflect attacks and stuff. Um, and I guess there are prompts like to dodge with, with circle, which crouches you or whatever. So there's still that kind of stuff in like, almost like in spirit. Um, and you can do, you can do that with a lot of Ichabod, the big cheeses, um, attack. So I wonder if it's like part of showing you because that becomes very important when you get to the Krauser fight ultimately, because again, there was a first section of fighting Krauser in the original where the entire thing was a cutscene with those prompts. Yeah. Which was really cool, right? And that dialogue was was awesome. That that dialogue, which you know, you, me, and Ghost Marty could quote off the top of our head from the original, is no longer there. Unfortunately, so that section first play for me, I was very disappointed with that first because in the original, like it's just so cool, it's just so interesting, and you're seeing this showdown of these two that you don't really have history for which this game does do a bit better of showing you some of that history that they've had. And so it's so like they're them butting heads makes more sense other than Krauser being the one that kidnapped Ashley kind of stuff. Right. So I like that there's more meaning there, but it was missing some of that, that camp from, from the original in, in that section. But, but I do wonder if that's like part of the game showing you that this is what you can do. This is what you can expect. And maybe some of that design in the environment was was thinking in that regard. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, it's it's hard to say. I just don't know. And, and like I said, it's a minor gripe. These are, I mean, we're basically on the two lowest on my list. The other minor gripe I had, which will be interesting to hear your thoughts on, I don't, I don't really like the gunpowder crafting mechanic. It just doesn't do it for me. Like it's not. It's not the biggest deal, but I do think it affects the pace of the game for me because in the original RE4, which had no crafting, obviously you just got extra ammunition. Like it would throw out much more ammo than this game does uh, when you kill enemies or break barrels. Um, so now I'm, I'm noticing I'm pausing a lot more to craft. Yeah, I just don't like it that much. Honestly, I didn't. I don't feel like I crafted that much really the like the large and medium component things is what just like they were just taking up space in my freaking yeah i agree with that actually uh which was the most frustrating part for me but now so with with like the shooting gallery stuff there are things and there are uh, other things you can buy that change drop rates for you yes like i used in my second playthrough i used an equipment case that made handgun ammo drop more. So like I had plenty of handgun handgun ammo. It was great because like instead of coins, I was getting drop ammo, which was cool. And I, I like that customization. And like there's another one that can up the drop rate for red herbs. So you can combine them with the greens to get a full heal and that kind of stuff. So I like that aspect. So if that is like meant to be a part of that whole crafting system, you know, is it like I think of it as like a package. I, I don't mind it. I like it. It's It's fine. It's kind of a, you know, neutral thing for me. Okay, and I'm like one step from neutral with it. It's it's not the biggest deal. It's just a a slight pause. But I mean, 
What I will say positive for the crafting, because now we're on to the positive, so we should all be friends. Yay, we made it, Leland. We made it <laughs> without killing each other. I, I love the new crafting system, or I should say the expanded crafting system. In the original RE4, I mean, you would find treasures. I always enjoyed that. You still do. But there are only a few treasures where you could put gems in to increase their value. There's a lot more of those treasures this time, and I like it because there's multiple ways of getting the gemstones to inlay and make a really nice treasure. You can get them off enemies. You can buy them off the merchant in certain cases. You can find them. And I feel like really accomplished when I get a lamp and have like three different colors of square gems in them and sell it. I feel accomplished. Yeah, I like that too. Top though that I love is same with you. Ashley is so much better in this one she's not like some bimbo frat girl this time around you're right she seems like a real person as much as you could do in a survival horror game there are some writing choices i really like with ashley like the the joke of which is played up in an achievement uh for re4 make was that at the end of re4 ashley tells leon like do you want to do some overtime like <laughs> yeah. she's interested in being split like firewood <laughs> And then, <laughs> yeah, that's the exact dialogue. Yeah, <laughs> that's the exact dialogue. But no, it is. Uh, it is. Do you want to do some overtime? Yeah, it's basically. Do you want to? You want to go fuck after this? But like this one, she hits on him pretty early, and whenever he shows her any sort of attention, it's it's just honestly like heartwarming. It puts a smile on my face. There's a sequence where she she does something, like she grabs Leon something, and he came back and he's like. He's like, good job. You're a good climber. And she's like, is that a compliment? And Leon's like, take it how you want to. And I just, I love that exchange between the two of them. Because it shows that Leon kind of finds her cute. Or at least he's like such a Chad that he's going to flirt with her <laughs> Such anyway. a Chad. So I took it as, I took it as like, um, it showed, it showed a lot of Leon's character too. Because Ashley is thrown into this fucked up situation that we know Leon has been in similar things before and knows how to handle. But the way Leon interacts with her, I guess he lets her help. I mean, she, she's kind of in perilous situations that he lets her go off and do, you know, like, but it's necessary. It's necessary. But he's like, OK, I like I believe you can do this. And it's like it's almost like it has this calming effect for her character in this crazy scenario. Right. And you see that as they spend more time together and they get more comfortable with each other. And yeah, just like Ashley like drips off of his arm like every time she can, it seems right. It's like she does. <laughs> it's good. It's it's endearing. Like Leon is a cool badass. I'd try to date him if you tried to risk oh, yeah. me. I'd I'd fuck Leon in a heartbeat. Absolutely. He's he's got like one of the most interesting so far lack of character developments in Resident Evil, because you're right, he's a rookie cop in RE2. I mean, he's good at fighting or whatever, but he's scared. He's young. And all of a sudden by RE4, he's like super bodyguard, working for the president. No lack of confidence. Like not arrogant, but he's just like super confident. Yeah. And that carries Leon through the, rest of the series so far. Like he just becomes awesome. Yeah, he's like the president's best friend. There's a part on the island near the end of the island where Ashley was like, 
maybe we get out of here. I can join the bureau and we can be partners. And he's like, let's just get home before we do anything. <laughs> like she's she like wants to become an agent now. Like it's the best thing ever. It's so good. See, and and I like that because because that actually replaces some of the cheesy dialogue I missed. Mm-hmm. The more I went through this, the more I've gone through the game now. I mean, I. I don't like Sadler so far. I don't like Salazar so far. Salazar's less over the top. He's more like creepy psychopathic. I really like Salazar. I agree with you. I don't like Sadler. To me, Sadler is like a non-entity in this whole game. Like, I feel like he shows up very seldom. Maybe, like, it feels like he's in it less than the original. Maybe that's actually not true, but he just has so much less of an impact and presence in the whole game. I just don't give a fuck about him every time I see him. Yeah. It was tough to give a fuck about him in the original, but at least he was there semi-regularly. I mean, sure, I haven't beat the game, but I mean, okay, like unless he's a lot in the last five chapters, I barely think of him. I insulted his voice actor, but he hasn't done anything in the first 11 chapters. (laughs) So, all right. Yeah, what other what other positives do I have here? I have some interesting ones on the mega positives. I really like the gun selection. I like how they didn't cheap out and do all the same guns. They did different guns this time around, and it seems like more of them. Some favorites have returned, especially in the pistols. But I like the shotgun selection so far. I like the bolt gun where you can recover the bolts. I think that's really cool. I like the cases, as you're mentioning about. I do a lot of case swapping depending on my situation. Oh. The charms that you can hang from the case. Like I've got a pretty cool charm that's like plus 20% to shotgun ammo drop. Oh, that's good. That's a good one. I like how they've changed a lot of the puzzles. They're either as good or I like them more. Yes, agreed. There's a certain puzzle and it does it twice that I like where you have to open a door. And you have to press three buttons and the buttons correspond to a certain shape. But the only way to see the shape is to move around the environment. And you might see like one side of the shape on a tree and the other side on like a barn. But if you move your like Leon to a certain angle, you'll see it come together. Yeah. Yeah. I enjoyed that. I was surprised, but I really enjoyed how after you fight Del Lago at the lake, it turns into a little open world with like a lot of little caves and spots for you to explore. I love that segment. Yeah, you can go like treasure hunting in some of the areas. Yeah, you can go treasure hunting and some of them only have treasure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But like it's fun to have the motorboat which in the original RE4 all you do is take the boat off the lake to the other side of the lake and then you're done. Um to have the motorboat to be able to explore a little bit, I I did really enjoy that. What did you think of the uh, merchant tasks? I like them. I've only completed a few because I feel like a lot of them require you to backtrack. Yeah. It's like, I don't want to go back to the Grand Hall. And that'll probably change on my second or third time through, assuming I get there, enjoy the game a second time through. Like, I'll probably be more willing to explore. But first time with the game, my mind is kind of a little bit overwhelmed. And it's like, let's just get through it. But I think it's good you brought up the merchant. I think he's pretty well done. I think he sometimes he's overdone. He has some long lines where he's like, you know, ha ha ha. I, you know, hoped I could see you around here. Blah, blah, blah. It's like, okay, shut up. Um, I like it when he just says, you know, gun rhymes with fun, stranger. Like, great line. <laughs> yeah, yeah, great yeah. line. Classic exactly. That's all yeah, he yeah. needs to say. That is all he needs to say. Yeah. Don't have him drone on unless you're going to teach us what the merchants are. Because I feel like they're low key 
trying to build this weird like quasi alien merchant cast that exists in the Resident Evil universe. Yeah, oh yeah, surely there's bio a new a version of bioweapons. Like they got to be some like yeah. M virus. They're the merchant virus. Like that's the merchant virus. Guy. <laughs> that is actually the best explanation I've thought of so far. Because <laughs> like uh, you know, um, the Duke when he was asked by uh, in Resident Evil Eight if he was asked like is he human and he was like no he's like you know I'm something other right right so that was very interesting yeah I agree yeah I I liked him. There's a lot of merchant in this game. I feel like they've almost doubled his appearances. So you're never too far away from guns. Uh, so I like that. I find myself playing the merchant's mini games more often. His target shooting mini game. Mm-hmm. It's kind of fun because, you know, you've got a machine you can put. You get coins and then like little baubles that you can attach to your case and increase your stats come out of his little uh, his machine. I like that. You know what I like about the the whole target shooting thing is like Ashley goes with you into the target shooting room and she just sits on a barrel and encourages you. And yeah. it's nice because I like Ashley. I, know, I like great. her encouraging. It's so good. And like when you're and when you're sniping and you nail a really long shot, she's like, whoa, good shot, Leon. And you're <laughs> I like, love that. Thank you, Ashley. That was a fucking good shot. <laughs> like what's <laughs> a good shot. It's so good. Yeah. Yeah, I and I've always played RE4, like even the old one, to be as accurate as possible. So there's there's been some pretty funny chains where like I'm just like nailing eight beautiful headshots in a row. Yeah. And Ashley's like, awesome, you're amazing. Great. She's just like <laughs> can't say it as quick enough. She's just so happy with my headshots. I really like speaking of the merchant again. I really like the spinel change in this. Yes. That the, yes, the spinels now become their own form of currency. It's really cool. Uh, you need some to get a few weapon parts, depending, and and some handguns, like weapons themselves. Uh, again, they're optional because you don't have to use them. But like, if you want the Red Nine stock, I think you need to have spinels to, to buy it with spinels. Um, you use spinels to buy treasure maps so you can find other treasures around. You can use spinels to buy uh, jewels to put into your, your treasures that you find, right? Et cetera. Uh, you can use spinels to buy maximum upgrade tickets where you can upgrade the final upgrade on a weapon for free instead of paying the like hundred thousand bucks it costs or whatever. So I really like that. It's just another layer on what you want to collect and be able to spend and kind of customize. Like it's not really customizing anything, but it feels like it is. Yeah. I mean, it feels like you have a whole second channel of purchasing of mer- merchantism with those spinels yeah because yeah. uh, it's a different part of the screen with the merchant so yeah yeah i like that there's a bunch of small things i liked fighting the chainsaw sisters they were a scary and good uh mini boss i do like how the castle streamlined i had a really bad moment where like to go forward in the castle was literally to go through this one door, like in the room that I was in. And I backtracked the entire castle for like oh, no. 20 minutes trying to find out where to go. That was oh, a rough one, but brutal. It's on me. It's it's on me. What exactly? How far are you into the game? Because you, have you done you've done the maze, right? You've done the new maze. Yeah. The maze with the dogs. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I've done that. I've done, I think the closest big thing that I can say I've done is Ashley's individual segment with oh, all the knights okay. where she only has the, and I like that. I like that more than her original segment. 100%. It's scarier. This game, I would not call this game scary, but it is distinctly has more of a creepy vibe than Resident Evil 4 did, which was also on my pluses. 
there's certain places which I like, like there's a room in the castle. You'll probably remember this, but there's like five dead monks who I guess died sitting on the floor looking at a fireplace. Yeah. And I keep thinking that they're going to get up and attack me. So like I'm super cautious and I still am every time I enter that room thinking that, you know, the monks are going to get up and attack me. And it's that kind of thing that's scary. The enemy designs are scarier. The ganados are scarier. They're better, but I, I mean, I do think part of my criticism for them factors into the game being too hard. I feel often like a ganado is rushing me and I don't have time to pick out a weapon. They're very fast. They're And they're very aggressive. Very aggressive, very fast, lots of aggro. But yeah, I mean, where where I'm at, I basically mentioned all my pluses and all my negatives, to be quite honest. I understand your negatives, especially the technical ones. Like, that sucks. And I, I get how that, like, really impacts your experience. I mean, it's like what we were talking last episode about the, uh, the new Star Wars game at the time, right? And how yeah, it's yeah. just... Like that, that factors into initial reviews and that that's people's, ex, uh, you know, impression of your game now. And that's clearly happened in this case with you, right? That, or at least it's a portion of it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I'm not I'm not seeing what you're seeing playing these things. I, I know because I know what PS5 graphics would be and I know some of the spots and textures I'm seeing. Um, And it's yeah, it wouldn't be at PS5 level. I. I've never been the biggest graphical guy, but it's it is really annoying when you have a power PC for gaming and there's such a big issue that's apparently so widespread. I I just don't know how that didn't come out in testing. But I mean, like what I would say is like if you were. I was mostly just defending myself when we were talking before, especially with Ghost Marty always attacking me, but it's like. You know, if you were to tell me that you love this game so much and the fact that you also agree it's unnecessary, you're like, I love it, but it is unnecessary. Yeah. 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 I, I can buy that. I can think it's cool. I wouldn't put anyone down for saying that this game is awesome or they like it. It's just for certain reasons, it's just not as much my thing. I'll probably finish it. I'll al- almost for sure finish it in the next month or two. But yeah, at the end of the day, it's just meh for me. Yeah, well, you had mentioned, too, that, like, the original RE4 was, like, one of your least favorite Resident Evils at the time, too. So I think that factors into a lot of it. Whereas it was, at the time, the only Resident Evil that I had. It was, like, my first Resident Evil. So, of course, I'm going to look at it with the nostalgic feels and the amount of Ariathons that the three of us had sitting with back-to-back-to-back TVs, speed-running this thing and trying to beat it, right? Like... All that factors into it, and it's just like it just brings back all the good stuff. And now with you know updating it, and I get to rock it on my PS5 and my nice big TV, and it just it just feels good, and it feels like it should feel. And I don't know, I just there's just so many aspects of it that are just like so much better for me. Even just uh, Lewis, Lewis is great character. He gets expanded. He's cool. Great point. Yeah, he's great in it now, uh, and, and that factors into that like story development that feels better in this versus the original because it was like oh lewis is like just some random dude but we know like lewis used to be he used to work for umbrella and he he's here you know investigating the amber where the lost plugas are stored and he helped in mining it and uncovering it for this village and he was infected too and used the laser to get the lost plugas out of himself and 
that's how he knows it'll work when you can tell Leon and Ashley to get there. Sadler doesn't kill him in this one. Interesting. Yeah, someone else does. Have something else, something different happens, which I, I, I there's no point in spoiling for you, but um, I like the fact that we saw a second ogre. Yeah, yeah, that was cool. It was a cool part because that ogre comes back in the part with the lava pit and the two ogres. So you're like, oh, oh okay, this makes come. sense that there's two here now. <laughs> like, you know, it's just like little, little stuff like that that I just really, really enjoyed. And I think I enjoyed more because of how extensively we played the original. And it just all helped. It all helped build for me. And I'm sure that Ghost Marty feels the same way. Yeah, and, you know, I, I don't think it's my total criticism, but the more we talk and I hear about your positive experience on the big TV with a PS5 runs perfectly, you know, unfortunately, I think my very bad first impressions, I mean, I was dealing with the graphical issue that had super pissed me off 10 minutes before my first battle in the village where yeah, I died. Right. So you've got all of this happening the same day. You know, I was I frustrated and pissed off. and um, you know, I've had to to try to get over that, but like, I don't, I don't think it's a bad game. I mean, like I said, the the words I would use for me is meh, but it might grow on me because the original RE4 grew on me. I was so mad that it wasn't a scary game, that it was an action game. But then I played through it. I'm like, okay, this is kind of cool. Then I played through with you guys. We started making some jokes about Krauser and Mike the helicopter pilot. <laughs> and suddenly it's like, okay, I actually like this. Like, I like this. I like the culture surrounding this. Oh, that that's another thing. Look forward to Mike, because Mike is awesome at the end of the game. Oh, he's nice. So good. He's just as good, like, if not better. He's he's so interested. It's so good. That whole section it's is so great good. with Mike. <laughs> so good. It's, it's awesome. You got to get to it. You got to get to it. I got to get to it. I'll do it. I'll do it. Mike will be my happy thought. I'm like yeah. Peter Pan. Get I to can Mike. fly get to through this. Get to Mike, get to Mike, get to Mike. <laughs> and the Kra the Krauser fight is the second part of the Krauser fight. It's pretty much unchanged. Like, it's very recognizable, very cool with, you know, it, it's just great. Him, the way he just pops up and, like, tries to ambush you. It's it's cool. It's, it's good stuff. Yeah, awesome. So I, I'm not comfortable giving it a, a rating. Maybe I can come back later when I've completed. I shouldn't give it a rating. Just 11 chapters in of 16. I haven't even got to the island. The island is 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 much more tolerable. I'm gonna I'm betting that a new game plus run for you is gonna make a huge difference in your enjoyment uh, of this game. Um, also, the other thing is funny. I have uh, there's <laughs> from like a month ago or you know three weeks ago. Uh, I have a message between Ghost Marty and myself, dumbfounded at how you're not enjoying it as much as we are. And his last thing is like, I'll bet he'll like it in 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> He's really right. There's probably some truth to that. It took me like two years the first time around. So, you know, with RE4. Yeah. I'll give it a chance. I mean, I do think I would enjoy a second playthrough a lot more where the spots where I got stuck or really doubled back for 15 minutes, like I just mentioned, clearing that shit out of the way should make for a much more fun run through. So, yeah, I mean, I will push that. That is my commitment. I don't know how quickly I can do it, but like it'll be next month or two. Like I'll push to the end of this thing. Good. I mean, you, you got to find out the good bar. You got to get the name of the good bar from Mike. So you, <laughs> you got a good. Bet. Now Mike is like sponsored by like Patty's whatever <laughs> in Boston gives you an actual address to go to. 
<laughs> Wouldn't yeah, that be good marketing? Massive product placement from Capcom. <laughs> I know goodbye. You can go there this weekend. Hours are this, this, this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Try their jalapeno poppers. Leon? <laughs> Leon poppers. Well, let's wrap this up. This yeah, that time. wasn't as painful as I thought it was going to be. <laughs> yeah, neither for me. I thought it was... I think we understand each other, and I think that's important. I I agree. Uh, all right, end of show stuff. Our website is ttpopcast.com. The T-Hut Popcast on Facebook. TT Popcast on Instagram. I'm Leland underscore Steel on Twitter. And that is who I've been. And I have been Moby. I really appreciate you uh, listening, uh, especially if you got it this far, listener. So appreciate you as always. Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye. This has been a Sounds of Steel production.